HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following message has been brought to you by Fairway Market. What's the buzz about honey? Well, those busy little bees are up to something, and it is delicious. The Fairway label honey is superb. Fairway only hires worker bees that are the best at what they do. This makes for a great-tasting, high-quality honey at an amazing value with the Fairway stamp of approval. And on top of being delicious, honey is a great substitute for other sweeteners and can even benefit your health. This includes better energy, respiratory improvements, and balanced blood sugar levels. It's a no-brainer. Get your Fairway Honey today. The following You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Happy Monday to you, and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. My co-host today is Sophie Schlesinger, and our show has been generously sponsored by Fairway Market. Um... Today on Cutting the Curd, we are very happy to have um, Stephen Judge of Bob White Systems from Royalton, Vermont, on the line with us. Uh, Stephen, are you with us? I am. Thank Glad you. to be here. Oh, thank you so much for, uh, for being on the show. Um, thank you. So, we, uh, so Bob White Systems, can you, can you tell us uh, um, about uh, your company and what you guys do? Well, Bob White Systems uh, designs and manufactures uh, dairy equipment for small-scale dairy farms. We generally call those micro-dairies. Uh, they're uh, farms that, are, that milk 10 or less cows or the equivalent in goats and sheep. And uh, we um, uh, try and uh, uh, specialize in that market because it is so difficult to find equipment for farms that size. Now, when you say equipment, um, can you give us a little bit more detail about what kind of equipment you guys produce? Well, we uh, produce uh, our, our signature piece of equipment that we've designed and are about ready to release to market is a, a small farmstead size uh, pasteurizer that uh, people can use right on their farms to produce pasteurized milk. So that gives them the opportunity to offer their customers either raw milk where it's legal or to pasteurize the milk and uh, sell it directly from their farm. 
That's great. And um, and if I could, if I could ask, could you give us a ballpark range of um, how much that system would cost? Because I know a pasteurizer is oftentimes one of the largest barriers to uh, a small farmer getting started. It certainly is. Uh, probably the next uh, size up from ours is uh, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. But we hope to introduce ours to market for between twenty-five and thirty thousand dollars. Okay, that's that's great. Um, it's still it's still an expensive piece of equipment, but it's about the same expense as would be a, a compact uh, farm tractor or something similar to that. So it is. Uh, we do think it's affordable. And uh, and how many? How large is is that unit? How large is the pasteurizer? Well, it's about the size physically. It's a little bit smaller than a household refrigerator, um, and. Um, it uh, flows at a gallon per minute. So if you have 50 gallons of milk that you want to pasteurize, you could, uh, it'll take you 50 minutes to do so. Oh, I see. So it's not like a vat pasteurizer where you have all of the milk in one container. It kind of, it, it does it, uh, it kind of sucks the milk out, pasteurizes it, and then moves it to another, another location? Yeah, it, it's what they call an HTST pasteurizer, high temperature, short time, and it, it's an inline pasteurizer. So the milk comes out of the the cooler and goes through the heat exchanger where it's heated up to 163 degrees, and we hold it there for 15 seconds, and then it goes back through the heat exchanger where the hot milk uh, heats up the incoming cold milk, and also it, the hot milk is also cooled in the process down to 65 degrees. And from there, it goes into the finish tank, where it's uh, stored and cooled down to 38 degrees. Wow. Wow, that sounds like a really efficient, um, yeah. And time saver, too, it seems like. It, well, the wonderful thing about it is is that it's really, really gentle on the, on the milk, and uh, it does virtually no damage to the nutritional value of the milk, unlike most other pasteurization systems. And it's also very easy to use, and uh, it's, it's very, very efficient. So can you tell us a little bit, um, so when people pasteurize using other methods, what kinds of things happen to the milk? I've always been, I've always been sort of baffled by that. I, n- I don't know the exact uh, right answer. <laughs> well, uh, it, there's many, many different ways to pasteurize. Uh, there's a vat pasteurizer, and then there are other. There's flash pasteurization, where you heat the milk up to 212 degrees and hold it there for 0.01 second. Um, primarily, HTST pasteurization hits the sweet spot, where the milk is heated up to a temperature where it, it, it's not degraded, and it's only held there for long enough to kill the unwanted uh, bacteria and then it's cooled right back down. With, say, vat pasteurization, you have to heat it up and hold it at a certain temperature for a certain time, and it's a longer time, and it does more damage to the milk. And if you go over the uh, higher temperatures, if you go over into, say, 170 or 180 degrees or 212, that's when you really begin to damage the nutritional value of the milk. So we we tried to hit that sweet spot so uh, our milk would uh, not only taste good, but would be really good for you. Excellent, excellent. Um, and so do you guys, uh, so pasture, pasteurizer, that is a, an extremely useful thing for, um, for dairy farmers um, who want to get into larger markets. Um, what, and do you produce any other kinds of, uh, of equipment for small dairy farms? Well, we, uh, we sell uh, uh, vacuum pumps, uh, bucket milkers, all sorts of accessories and equipment. Our next project that we, we also 
do sell a line of, of vat pasteurizers, and we sell uh, 30, 40, 50, 66, and 80-gallon bulk tanks that we import uh, from Europe uh, specifically for the American market. Um, they're really good sellers, and it's uh, very difficult to find a small bulk tank on a uh, farmstead bulk tank uh, here in this country, so that's why we have to import them. But we have a full line of equipment that we try and sell. Our next item, once we get done with the pasteurizer, the next item we hope to develop is a, an automatic uh, capper filler or filler capper for that can be used to fill milk containers uh, on a farm and so that can be sold directly from the farm. Wow, that's that's really, really excellent. Um, uh, certainly very useful stuff. And and Stephen, before we continue learning a little bit about uh, a little bit more about the different equipment, can you just tell us quickly who or what um, Bob White is? I did a little <laughs> research on the website, and if listeners were uh, listening closely in the intro song, we we looped a, a call of the Bob White. So if you want to give an explanation on that, well, the Bob White is actually an Eastern quail. And uh, as a child, I remember going to sleep at hot nights, on, during hot nights, and with the window open and listening to the Bob Whites calling outside my window. So it always has, they've always had a, uh, a certain fascination for me. So uh, we decided to, to name the company that uh, just because it's a great-sounding name, it's an honest name, and it, gives us, it gave us an opportunity to design a nice logo. <laughs> yeah, and that, that was another call for anyone who uh, missed it in the in the intro. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, and um, so that uh, and and you, I think uh, Sophie was actually mentioning to me that um, the Bob White has become a little bit less common in in Vermont. Is that true? Yeah, it has been uh, as uh, agriculture has declined. Uh, uh, Bob Whites prefer open uh, meadows and spaces like that, but it is making a comeback now, so I'm pleased to say. And hopefully in not that long a time, it will be back to, uh, to its uh, original numbers. It's a, it's a good mascot then for the, the small dairy farmer, perhaps. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> <laughs> And now, can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Um, did you grow up uh, on a dairy farm, or how did you get into the, the dairy business? Well, I didn't grow up on a dairy farm, but I grew up uh, living next to one. And uh, I started working at that dairy farm uh, when I was the summer of my seventh grade uh, year, and I was 15, and uh, that was uh, in 1966. And I worked there for a few years, and then uh, later, uh, after college, uh, moved to uh, uh, Western Mass, a more rural area, and before long, my wife and I were owned a small farm where we started collecting cows and other uh, critters, and um, I, was, I had another profession then. I worked in an office in a courthouse, and... But I always reserved as much time as I possibly could for my cows. And then uh, in the late 80s, we decided to sell our farm in Western Mass and go into dairy farming full-time, and we bought a farm up here in Vermont, which we operated for 10 years. And then uh, we sold that uh, farm because of all kinds of uh, family and financial pressures, but... uh, 
I then leased a farm, and then I managed a series of farms, and we had a, a milk marketing business at the same time. So for the past 45 years, I've been involved with the dairy industry in, in one form or another. Wow. Wow. And... And can you? I mean, yeah. That, that you, if if you don't know it, I don't know who. I don't know who yeah. does. <laughs> um, and where in Vermont are you guys based right now? We're in uh, South Royalton, uh, which is uh, about uh, twenty minutes uh, south southwest of White River Junction. Uh, off of uh, we're just off of Route eighty nine. Okay. Okay. Great. And Stephen, um, I saw that. Uh, on the on your site, you talk a lot about having a micro dairy. Can you just uh, kind of define what you classify as a micro dairy for us? Well, micro dairies, I think, are kind of magical magical little units. There, we define them as farms that milk ten or fewer cows, and they the way they survive is by the people that operate them sell all their milk or products that they make from the milk directly from the farm and as a result they are, avoid uh having to sell their products wholesale they avoid distribution costs the milk doesn't have to be trucked hundreds of miles to be processed uh it's just a very green very efficient and and very um, environmentally friendly way to to operate a dairy farm and because the cow numbers are so small, the cows have an opportunity to uh, uh, enjoy a good life, receive individual attention, and uh, enjoy pasture and fresh air. So it's a, it's a nifty little way to have a dairy farm. And plus, because it is so small, <clears throat> the time required to operate one is minimal. So like me, I can have, I milk four cows right now at our little farm, and I have time to... Uh, have a day job as well. So uh, you can't earn a living with a micro dairy, but you can make money. And because you have, t- uh, uh, you know, the, the time during the day, you can you can explore other avenues for income. So it's a diversified. It gives you an opportunity for a diversified income. Um, so, and how many micro dairies would you say exist um, in the state of Vermont, or maybe ar- around you guys? Well, when we first started six years ago, micro dairies, the term micro dairy was, I don't, I'm not even sure if it had been invented yet, uh, but uh, there's probably a couple of hundred in Vermont, and we get uh, uh, people responding to our website, uh, sending us emails from all over the country, and there are literally thousands of, of micro dairies starting or being started or being operated out there because it's really the logical response to the consolidation of the commercial dairy industry and the low prices that dairy farmers are facing all across the country. It's true. It's funny. I feel like, you know, micro dairy as a term sounds kind of like new and fancy, but as an idea, it's actually very, you know, very kind of old fashioned, you know, most people I feel like used to get their milk um, from a micro dairy. Yeah, and advances in not only in the uh, the amount of milk that one cow can produce, but it advances in technology that allow these little farms to be operated very efficiently and very quickly with very little commitment in time and other resources really makes them possible today. Where maybe 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, it really wasn't possible. But it's these these uh, these advances that now make the time right once again. 
Well, and I feel like another advance is, um, is of course, the customer appreciation. I feel like, you know, consumers are really seeking out products from sources that they, they know and trust. So that's also a big factor probably in their success. Oh, it sure is. Uh, the, the, one of our goals is to reestablish the direct connection between the farmer and the consumer and, you know, redevelop that level of trust. You go into a store now and buy a jug of milk and half the time you don't <clears throat> know, you know, you don't know where the milk came from, who the farmer is, what the cow was. And, uh, I think that, uh, there's a, it's a real positive trend to, uh, once again have the consumer uh, understand exactly where the milk ca- comes from and uh, and also have the milk locally produced so it doesn't have to be trucked all over the countryside. Absolutely. Well, um, well, with that, we have to take a quick break. We've come to sort of the midpoint of the show, but we'll be right back and we have lots more questions. So uh, stick with us on Cutting the Curd. Thank you. A strange form of life Kicking through windows, rolling on yards Hitting in loved ones Triggering odds A strange one Public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Every Thursday at 1 p.m., Heather Hyman and Aaron Fairbanks explore the real roles in building a strong community and sustainable farm system. They get nitty-gritty with the people producing our food. They explore distribution networks, dissect policy issues, and converse with some of the nation's most important agents for change to examine current events in the world of agriculture and food. Join them every Thursday live at 1 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network, where all is grist for the mill. And we are back on Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. My co-host is Sophie Schlesinger. And our guest today is Stephen Judge, owner of Bob White Systems. Um, Before we get back into our line of questioning, I just wanted to uh, let all of our listeners out there know that in a couple weeks, we're going to be doing a show of uh, listener responses. Um, We really, really want to hear if you guys have questions, if you guys have show ideas, things maybe we haven't talked about that you want to hear about. Um, You can email any suggestions or questions to info at heritageradionetwork.com, and uh, we will get to those and, uh, and hopefully put together a nice show. 
Um, so I think Sophie had a question she wanted to lead yeah. off with. Um, so Stephen, I just wanted to go back to the to the micro dairy term you were we were talking about earlier. Um, I think it's really interesting. You know, here in New York, people are are very interested in city gardening and urban farming. Some people call it. Um, I don't know how viable it'd be to have a cow in the city. Probably probably not very realistic. But is this something that you think is possible for you know other rural families or even suburban families? Well, it. Yes, I do, especially rural families, rural communities, uh, uh, village centers. Um, In the suburbs, I think in many cases you might have to deal with zoning issues about what is allowed and what isn't allowed. Right. Um, But I can tell you that I believe in Tokyo, in Japan, they have high-rise dairy farms right in the city. Hmm. Um, So it's possible, and... uh, but in a, the wonderful thing about a micro dairy is that they're good neighbors. Um, we have four cows right in the middle of Royalton Village with neighbors all around, and people love the cows. They love to see them. They're out there grazing. There's no odor. There's no flies. There's no noise. There's no uh, uh, pollution. Uh, so they, they make really good neighbors, and we're reclaiming some... Uh, uh, working landscapes and pastures that hadn't been used for generations, and uh, it's just wonderful to see the cows back as part of the community rather than being isolated on big commercial factory farms. That's that's really interesting. Well, I feel like you know I, this was sort of a new thing to me because I grew up in the Midwest. But when I moved out um, out east and actually spent time on a dairy farm in Connecticut, I was acquainted with the idea of the town green, which I had never heard of before because I grew up in the suburbs and there was just no such thing. Um, do you do you see or do you think that that could ever be possible again? That people could use you know the the town greens for for keeping some small cows and using your systems. Sure. I, uh, the, the rule of thumb, the old rule of thumb is that it, it, if you're going to feed your cows on pasture, which is, I think, the best way to feed your cows, is you need two acres per cow of, uh, of, of pasture. So you really need to have, uh, you, you need to keep that in mind. Of course, you can have less, less land and feed them more purchased feed, but two acres per cow is a good rule of thumb. Again, there are other alternatives, and if you really intensively graze and uh, do rotational grazing, you can cut that number down significantly, but I'd stick with the two acres per cow. So it'll just be one lonely cow on the long town green. <laughs> well, a couple. Cows don't like to be alone. They love, they, they're herd animals. They love to have company, and, and a, a, a single cow is usually not a very happy cow. Maybe we can turn uh, Central Park into the town green. Didn't there used to there be go. livestock in Central Park? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think at least sheep. I know they yeah, used to definitely. keep sheep in Central Park and Prospect Park <laughs> in Brooklyn. Um, well, so another a question that I had, um, another piece of equipment that I feel like is really um, hard for a lot of small-scale dairy farmers to get their hands on is like a milking system. Um, do you guys, um, what kind of a system do you use? Do you use like a bucket system with a, a vacuum pump, or what kind of a system do you guys use? Well, at our farm, we have a pipeline system, which is uh, basically the milk goes right from the milking unit that's attached to the cow into a pipeline, and then it goes directly to the storage tank, and it never touches air, and it's a very easy and simple system to use. But those can be pricey. 
what we offer most starting farmers is a vacuum pump and a milking bucket, and it's a very simple system, and the modern uh, uh, va- small vacuum pumps are, are very efficient and very quiet, and the, the milking buckets are also very gentle and easy to use. I, I, I personally think that uh, um, a good milking bucket that's set up and adjust, adjusted properly is both more comfortable uh, and easier on the cows than even milking by hand is. I think that uh, you can really um, have a nice little milking system for not that much money at all. That's great. That's really great. So, um, well, we've been talking so much about your about your company. We need to know uh, what's your what's your website so everyone can can access it and go on and get get all this great information. Well, um, it's bobwhitesystems.com, but that would be, uh, I think it's HTTP backslash backslash bobwhitesystems.com backslash. Okay, great. And that's bobwhitesystems with an S on the end. Correct. That's great. Um, Well, let me, uh, so another question that we were sort of tossing around, um, when you started this business, I mean, it sounds like it was a pretty interesting thing. You had to work with engineers. You had to, you know, you really had to sort of f- conceive of all this stuff. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got your start and if uh, you got any help at all from, you know, uh, state or, um, you know, other agencies to help you get started with this venture? Well, uh, we pretty much did it on our own. Uh, it started the whole notion or the whole idea came from the fact that. Uh, my wife and I bought a uh, an old abandoned farm right in the village of Royalton here in Vermont, and I wanted to milk a few cows, but I I, I didn't want it to be a full time thing. I knew I couldn't uh, wouldn't be able to uh, provide a living, but I wanted some cows on the side, and I wanted to provide milk to my neighbors and my friends. So we decided to build a really small barn and uh, and explored the opportunity to both offer. Uh, pasteurized milk and raw milk as well, which we can do here in Vermont. And I started looking for equipment, uh, and it was like literally like trying to build a rowboat with battleship parts because <laughs> as the dairy industry has grown in this country and farms, the size of farms have grown. I mean, there are farms out in the Oh, the Midwest and the West that are milking twenty, thirty thousand cows, and uh, all the equipment and uh, is all trending towards that market, and there was virtually nothing available for the small small farmer the, or, or someone who wanted to operate a micro dairy. So we decided. Uh, I got a, a group of friends and investors together, and we decided to uh, that it was a great idea to try and promote the local production of farm fresh milk again, and and started to assemble a product line, and we realized that there was no pasteurizer available at the scale of the type we wanted, so we said, well, we'll design one, and uh, it's been about five years now that we've been designing it and testing it. It works great. We're very happy with it. Um, uh, We have a few minor changes to make before we introduce it to the marketplace, but we're really excited about it, and that's really our signature product right there. Wow. And um, could you maybe tell us, in your opinion, kind of generally in Vermont, have you noticed um, an increase in small dairies or a decrease? I was reading a a study from uh, the Cornell Ag Extension 
saying that, you know, there has been a decrease in U.S. dairies and almost all of that is due to kind of this disappearance of the small dairy farm. Um, and they were citing it mostly to lack of, of proper technology and efficiency. So you've kind of created this niche market for yourself. Um, but I was wondering if you could touch on that a little bit. Well, uh, you, ten years ago, a small farm was a, a 20 or a 40 cow dairy. And they weren't designed to sell their milk locally. Most of them shipped their milk to a co-op or to a processor miles and miles away. And those farms have declined. Uh, the, tr- the small traditional dairy, family dairy farm in Vermont and across the country is just those numbers are plummeting because people are getting out of the business. It's a full-time job, but you can't support a family on it. So it's a, it's a very difficult situation to be in. But the, the obvious trend for the last 10 years with the agricultural statistics has been the growth of the small farm, the, these, you know, the really small farm. And it's, it is the two, three, four, five cow micro dairies that are just exploding all across the country. And um, I'm, I'm really happy about that because, again, we're bringing the cows back to the community and bringing back locally produced milk. And, and those, those numbers are trending strong. And I expect the number of micro dairies across the country to continue to grow. Where do you see, do you, um, do you have access to information that shows you kind of where there are little hotbeds of activity, where there, the, where there are the most micro dairies in the country? Well, uh, just based uh, anecdotally and based upon the inquiries we've received on our, for our website, there's a lot of activity in the, on, on both coasts, a lot of activity in Texas, there's a lot of activity in the Carolinas, a, lot, a real lot of activity in Maine and throughout New England, and um, uh, Oregon, Washington State, California, those seem to be the, the hot spots along the coast and down in the south uh, uh, seem to be where we're seeing the most growth. Isn't it interesting? I, I feel like I was just out in Kansas over the weekend for a wedding and I was talking to some hog farmers out there and they were talking about how, you know, farming has changed out there and how pretty much everybody used to have a couple cows and a couple pigs and then planted a couple acres. Um, but I I've always find it interesting that in the Midwest where farming is so so sort of deeply ingrained more i feel like more so than in other parts of the country it's it's more deeply ingrained in people's um people's lifestyles in some ways there's there's just not so much of that going on whether it's a micro dairy or cheese making or anything like that yeah it, it is interesting i think that I, not long ago i read that uh iowa was the uh imported more of the food that was consumed in the state than any other state in the union and that's just uh, a solidly agricultural state, but most of what they produce is designed for exports for other other markets, and they don't take the time to grow their own food. At least that's how it was a few years ago. I don't know if the statistics have changed, but that's the difference between uh, commercially-based agriculture where you're producing a commodity, whether it be milk or wheat or corn or uh, grain, and uh, a small locally oriented farm where you're producing products for your neighbors. And I think that's, uh, uh, that's the, where the trends are changing, that more and more we're going to see locally based agriculture that is producing for the local communities rather than for commodities that are shipped overseas or across the country. 
I like that. I really like two two things that you said. Um, the first was bringing cows to the community, and the second was producing for your neighbors. I think those are great slogans of kind of the small farm movement, if we want to call it. Yeah. Well, cow. Everybody loves cows. I mean, Jen, <laughs> we we used to do events where we'd bring a cow down to Boston and and a calf, and we'd set up a table and give samples of the milk we were selling and uh, people would treat the cow as if it were a little Buddha in the pen there we'd mm. give milking demonstrations and people would hold the kids over to, so they could touch the cows and there's that bond there that I think people miss and, uh, and it's really nice to have that come back into the community and have cows come back into the community. One odd little fact is, is that uh, cows are related to whales hmm. Really? Yeah, they shared a common ancestor before whales went back into the sea. And if you work with cows, I haven't worked with that many whales, but <laughs> just working with cows, you can you can get the family connection, wow. the family yeah. resemblance. They're gentle, soft, quiet cows that just want to behave and do the right thing. And uh, if they're treated right and given an opportunity to enjoy life, uh, they're really wonderful things. One other thing is on a commercial dairy farm, the average lifespan of a of a cow is four and a half years, roughly, wow. uh, and that's because they're just pushed for production. On a micro dairy, I'm milking one cow right now. That's she's 12 years old and she's healthy and ready to go another five years, and you can just double or triple your the life expectancy of a cow on a on a micro dairy as compared to a, a commercial dairy farm. Well, I'm, I have to say I'm slightly jealous. I, I live in Brooklyn right now, but, you know, the idea of, you know, getting out there and getting a couple yeah. cows and, and doing that sounds as as, pretty darn good. As soon as we can get a, a cow in Prospect Park, you'll be the first person we call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, uh, you can always come to Vermont. We'll, always, we'll welcome you with open arms. Great. Well, well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you being on the show today. Um, unfortunately, we are out of time. But um, again, if anybody wants to learn more about Bob White Systems, you can check them out on, online at bobwhitesystems.com. And uh, we will see you all next Monday for another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. Listening to Cutting the Curd. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.